Namaste. This is Farhan Azrali, the producer of Drishti Point Yoga Podcasts. Drishti Point has been recording podcasts since 2006, and we have over 300 podcasts that we are currently uploading to this site and others. Please be sure to visit our website, drishtipoint.ca, for the top 100 podcasts. We hope this podcast will nourish your mind and open your heart. Namaste. Welcome, Dr. Siegel. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Farge. Nice to be here. So I am very interested in hearing what you have to say and what you have to share about the practice of mindfulness, in particular the research that you did when you wrote your upcoming book, The Mindful Brain. But I'd like to start off with just a general question, some background and context. From a scientific perspective, can you define what mindfulness is? Sure. Well, mindfulness from a scientific point of view has been defined a number of ways, but basically it's being aware of what's happening as it's happening and not being swept up by judgments or expectations. So it's just being as close to living in the moment as you can get. That's what being mindful and being mindful aware and can you give a description about the distinction between mind and brain? Sure. Well, you know, this is a huge question. What's the distinction between mind and brain? And one way of thinking about it is that the brain is a collection of neurons. Most of them are in the skull, but when I use the term brain, I mean the extended nervous system that goes throughout the entire body. But usually people just mean the skull-based nervous system. And the mind is our subjective experience of thoughts and feelings, our intentions, our hopes, our dreams. And this subjective experience also has a very core aspect to it, which is that we regulate how energy and information flow through how we pay attention. So the mind has not only memory and thinking and feelings, but it also has this very important aspect of how you direct your attention when you have awareness of something with a certain quality to it, and that influences how energy and information flow in your inner world, and it turns out it also influences how energy and information flow through the circuits of the brain itself. And we, I suppose, have control over this nebulous concept, mind. Yeah, well, we certainly sometimes do and sometimes don't. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing about mindful awareness practice like yoga or meditation, <clears throat> tai chi, qigong, centering prayer, is that you're doing a practice where you're becoming aware of your awareness and you're paying attention to your intention. Those are the two fundamental experiences we have in common across all mindfulness practices, awareness of awareness and attention to intention. And when we do that, we're actually strengthening the circuits in our brain by using the power of our mind to direct attention in a certain way. So in neuroscience, they often talk about uh, the mind being just the activity of the brain. But now we've come to realize, in fact, that you can use your mind, the focus of your attention that drives energy and information flow a certain way, in certain ways that can actually make your brain fire in a certain fashion and then rewire in a certain way that's for health. 
So does that mean that through mindfulness practices, if we can use a metaphor of a muscle, that the mind is like a muscle and we can reshape the brain? I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, in the standard breath awareness practice, you know, you focus on your breath and then your mind gets distracted and then you realize you're distracted and you refocus on the breath. That's like contracting the muscle, relaxing the muscle, contracting it. So basically what you have is the ability to strengthen the muscle of the mind, if you will. There's no actual muscle, of course, but it's a, it's a skill to strengthen your ability to focus your attention. Now, has all this research about mindfulness inspired a curiosity in you to actually practice some of these techniques? You know, it has. Um, the book that I actually wrote two years ago is called The Mindful Brain. I have a new book coming out called Mindsight. And so for the Mindful Brain book, I, to really learn about this, for me, which was a very new field, I got immersed in a lot of practices of mindfulness. And so my daily life, I try as best I can to have a regular practice. You know, I see a mindfulness practice, whether it's Tai Chi or yoga or just meditation, as a form of really, as a form of daily brain hygiene. So just like we brush our teeth every day, I think doing a mindfulness practice really should be thought of as daily brain hygiene. And when we think of it that way, then it's not that you just do it once a week or once a year. You want to do it on a daily basis, just like you brush your teeth every day. Now, I always think of yoga and Buddhist practices as a a science of experience, that it gives you techniques, but it's intended for the person who practices to have a certain experience, and that experience is what we experience as as truth or as true. So from your experience, what are some of the benefits that you've gained personally from a mindful practice? Well, some of the things I've noticed are that I feel more at ease with things that used to make me uh, more anxious or uh, worried. So I find I have more what's called equanimity, you know, balance in the face of challenges. That's pretty cool. Another thing is I'm much more open to and almost feel more texture of my body. So all sorts of things that go on with the body from just walking down the street to, you know, eating a meal, the sensory experience of what's going on in my body is much more available to my every moment-to-moment experience. So that's made life even uh, richer. And I think the other thing is that I've felt that there's kind of, can I say it, um, a kind of a richer quality of feeling connected to other people that come along with, I think, these increased sensory experiences with others. And that's been really rewarding. So the emotional balance, the bodily awareness, the interpersonal connection, all those have been enhanced. And that's just in my subjective world. I mean, there's also studies that show that not only do these things happen in most people that do mindfulness practice, but also your your immune system improves, your blood pressure is made better, um, your ability to heal from physical trauma is improved. And and so in all these ways, it's a really thing to just allow yourself to have a mindfulness practice so mindfulness becomes not just something in the 10 or 15 minutes you do every day, but actually a trait of your life. So it's how a state 
that's created with intentional practicing becomes a trait in your everyday experience. I definitely imagine that that's the case with long-time meditation and Buddhist practitioners and monks, that it it's no longer a, a thing that they have to make effort to do, but it's just the daily reality of what they, how they experience life. Yeah, exactly. What's the daily reality? And I think the, the practice keeps that daily reality well honed, like working at, you know, really working out and getting your body in shape and then you want to keep it in shape. So it's getting there is one thing, but then keeping it there is another. And, and I think that's probably what happens with contemplative practitioners. And, you know, we, we have the benefit in everyday life, those of us who are not, you know, living in a monastery, to actually learn the wonderful techniques of mindfulness that can make our lives and our relationships better. So, you know, why not do it? Now, you mentioned you likened it to a daily uh, hygiene routine for the brain. Do you you practice mindfulness on a daily basis? I do. From what particular tradition or what specific technique do you personally practice? You know, I do two things. I have a basic insight meditation practice, so I'll do either, you know, or many of the following. I'll do breath awareness, which includes sensing your breath as the target of your attention, and then when the attention wanders, you lovingly and gently return your focus of attention to the breath. So that's one thing I do probably every day. Um, Then, you know, depending on my mood or what the timing is like, I will do, I'll do a loving kindness meditation, which includes doing wishes for health, happiness, um, safety, and well-being to myself, to others, to people I'm in conflict with, with giving forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. Um, and then to the whole world, um, these loving kindness wishes. And sometimes I'll do, depending on, uh, again, the time and the mood, I'll also add in what I call a wheel of awareness meditation that I created based on this metaphor of the mind being like a wheel. And then I'll get in the hub, which is this open, spacious place of awareness, and then focus on different aspects of the rim, such as the first five senses is one rim sector. The sixth sense would be the body, sense of the body, the interior of the body. The seventh sense would be any thoughts or feelings that might arise. And an eighth sense would be a relational sense of being connected to others and things beyond this bodily self. So that's kind of like a rim review. And then sometimes just going into a spacious place in the hub of just taking on whatever arises. And then even sometimes trying to do this wild, but even spending time focusing awareness not on the rim, but on the hub itself. You know, when I heard you speak last in Vancouver, it was so inspiring to hear a scientist speak in scientific terms, but speak as... Uh, yeah, I know. It's so funny. You know, I, I have no training in Buddhism and um, didn't even know about mindfulness as a, as a field until like 2004 when a book I wrote for parents called Parenting from the Inside Out uh, with Mary Hartzell we put uh, mindfulness as one of our um, you know, principles. And we used it in the English term being thoughtful and conscientious. And uh, people would read the book when we did workshops. They'd come up to us and say, hey, when are you going to teach us to meditate? And I had no idea what they were talking about. They'd point <laughs> to the word mindfulness and say, there, it's meditation. I'd say, it's mindfulness. they go, mindfulness meditation. And I actually said, what is that? And uh, it was only after that that I began reading about the field and meeting the people in the field and realized there was this wonderful world 
Journal even, and the book I wrote, and all the seminars I teach, uh, not all of them, but many of them are either with mindfulness teachers or, you know, just about the concept, uh, you know, in the framework of how you see the mind, how you see the subjective internal world of yourself or others. And mindfulness fits into that larger idea of, of uh, mindsight, of, of seeing the mind. You know, it's very exciting that in the last few years there's been such an intersection of those two fields of both science and spiritual practices that have an understanding of the mind and how it works and how to work with it. Totally. Well, uh, it's um, it's an amazing moment, you know, because in the in in the frame of what you're saying, there's been a huge divide between subjective inner experience, you know, mind really, mm-hmm. and the science that tries to be objective by observing and measuring phenomena. And the fact is, your internal life isn't available for quantifiable measurement. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a feeling, you know, how big is it? You know, how much does it weigh? You can't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for a lot of scientists, understandably, they just say, let's stick with the objective so we can do our statistical analysis and get the science done. And that's fair enough, but it's, you know, leaving out half of reality, Mm -hmm. the subjective side of things. It's an amazing moment to blending of the subjective with the objective, the science of objectivity and the mental side of subjectivity, bringing them together and seeing the correlations and seeing, in fact, that you don't have to be a reductionist and say the mind is just the activity of the brain. You can realize that these are two sides of one reality and that sometimes the brain drives the mind when people are driven into illness and all sorts of um, you know preoccupations and sometimes your mind can drive the brain forward. And I know some people get really mad when I say that kind of thing especially when I say the mind uses the brain to create itself. I mean, that really gets people upset <laughs> because they want to think the brain is the preeminent uh, thing and the mind just kind of follows along. And everything we know now from the study of neuroplasticity, how the brain changes in response to experiences, you can use the mind to change the brain. Yes. It's not even um, controversial anymore. It's just that we just know that. I find it really exciting that a lot of these spiritual practices are gaining credibility through the scientific research and that through that intersection of science and spirituality, a lot of scientists are having the opportunity to explore those things. Oh, isn't that incredible? It absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, the first time I did uh, any kind of significant meditation was a a week-long silent retreat with like a hundred brain scientist, who I couldn't talk to, of course, because we were silent, but in any event, it was like an amazing thing just to be doing it together. Yes. It's this intention to really have people apply the power of science with the reality of subjective inner life, and that was just an amazing uh, entree into this whole world. And it was also fascinating to read uh, your the personal stories you told about your own practices in the book, The Mindful Brain. So funny because when that first came out, in my, I mean, when I sent it to my publisher, there was some concern that a, you know a scientifically based book shouldn't really dive into subjective experience, and we had to really wrestle with breaking tradition by saying, look, mindfulness is a deep inner practice that has a subjective quality to it. And to be writing a book on that, it really doesn't make sense to leave out the writer's own internal experience. It just doesn't make sense. So. Uh, ultimately, they read, I mean, you can see in the book, 
it's 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 a different texture that the writing about my own experiences in this retreat and other retreats, you know, the texture of that writing has got to be different than just saying, you know, here's this science and here's that science and here's that science relates to it. So I was happy to bring those together, though I realize it's not what people usually do. <laughs> so, but I thought it was important to do it. I really enjoyed reading those parts, and uh, for myself, I have also done the silent meditation retreat, and it was. There were so many parts of your own subjective experience that I could obviously relate to. Oh, neat. Yeah. Oh, neat. Well, I think you'll enjoy this new book, Mindsight, too, because I took what I had learned from writing about the importance of that and sort of wove it into this new book. So it's kind of throughout that book. Oh, I was just going to ask you, and I'm glad you mentioned it. It sounds like something that I, I would definitely enjoy. It'll be out. We'll, we'll, see. we'll see what happens. Well, thank you so much for being with us here, and it's really been a pleasure to talk to you and to listen to you share both your research in science as well as your understanding of the mind and brain, and most definitely, I've really enjoyed also your personal experience hearing about it. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Farah. nice to be here. Namaste. It's Farah again. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to visit our website, drishtipoint.ca, for the best of the best Drishtipoint podcasts. If you like this podcast and want to support our work, please consider becoming a Drishti Point member or making a donation of any amount to support the work we do to spread the light and love of yoga. We wish you health, happiness, prosperity, longevity, and vitality. Namaste.